Hey everybody, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first podcast brought to you alongside the guys at Coan. Uh, this week, I'm delighted to have with me Reed Costa from BetterWorks. Uh, Reed, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Lawrence. I'm excited to talk with you. No worries at all. Um, so we're going to be talking really about how to get yourself set up to um, really launch an OKR program, you know, with purpose and with gusto, I suppose, and, and, and put yourself in the best place to do it right first time. Um, but before we get into that, Reed, tell us, you know, a little bit about yourself, your background, who BetterWorks are and, and what your role is there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my role is OKR practice lead at BetterWorks. And we're uh, an OKR and uh, sort of agile coordination uh, software at, um, you know, based in Redwood City. You know, I, we have an office in New York, which actually might become our headquarters now that everyone is working dispersed, but um, I'm still in the Bay Area. And I've been with the organization uh, for four and a half years now. And as OKR practice lead, my focus is really developing our implementation best practices, um, as well as working with our customers during that onboarding time, um, usually to run these executive coaching sessions and workshops, as well as help them with their program design. Um, so I've been in that role for about two years, but been running OKR implementations since I joined BetterWorks. Uh, so that was 2016. Right. Okay. So well versed in what it takes to put together a, a good OKR program then. Yeah. You know, we, we've seen a lot. Um, I think the, the deeper you dive into OKRs and I'm sure this is probably your point of view as well, but it's, it's like a crowdsourced methodology. Uh, yeah. So you, you learn lots of tools, ticks and tricks and tips along the way, but it's, um, you know, there, there's no right answer for every organization, but there are some, there are some themes that are worth knowing when you're embarking on this. Absolutely. So what are the types of um, companies and organizations you typically run your implementations with, Reid? Yeah, so uh, runs the gamut for type of industry. Um, you know, I'll typically get involved with our more enterprise-sized uh, organizations because they will usually need greater support or they want um, more engagement at the executive level during implementation. Um, but we are, you know, aside from you know tech companies because of our presence in the Bay Area, we have uh, a fair number of organizations in media, finance. We have government. We have some nonprofit. Uh, so, you know. There, there's really no, um, there's no industry where OKRs make more sense than others. And, you know, in the past, I know uh, with John Doerr, uh, you know, flying around and talking about measure what matters with organizations, he was getting a lot of interest in the past year and a half uh, from healthcare specifically, right? So uh, we've seen some of that as well, where healthcare organizations lately are really looking to transform and modernize stateside. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a very, um, well, traditional industry, I suppose, but a very right. well-financed industry that, that really needs to come into the modern era, isn't it? Right. And with just the state of uh, political influences in the US, uh, it needs to change and it needs to become more focused on outcomes than, than just on, uh, you know, the traditional models for making money. Yeah. Absolutely. Health outcomes. 
Okay, so say I was, you know, running a running a business, thinking of signing up with Betworks and got put in in touch with you. Is it just as simple for launching OKRs as kind of you know signing up to the the software and cracking on with it? <laughs> uh, not that simple, and I, we would never surprise you. You would never sign up, and then I would mm -hmm. I would show up on a call and and tell you <laughs> you have to slow horrify me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we usually lay out pre-sales pretty well what to expect during an implementation. And I, I think what the, the typical line is, um, is that expect that really we're going to spend about 20% of your time during the implementation phase, let's say eight weeks. Only 20% of that is really getting the technology set up and configured. Right. The remaining 80% is working with your business to build out a program that makes sense with your culture and your desired outcomes. Right. And um, that's actually the, the program design is phase one of those things. And we can, we can start setting up integrations to your HRIS systems, but what I'll work with our, or with our customers on and our services team is starting day one to, to talk to executives, the program team and start developing the, the vision for the program that translates well into a set of clear guidelines that can be supported by our technology in the long run. Interesting. So, you know, from all this experience that you've had over the past um, few years, then kind of what have you boiled down to be the, the critical elements of a program design where OKRs are concerned? Yeah, so critical elements, um, you know, step one is we, we want to determine the program team with an organization and help them understand which roles are important to have in place for long term success. I've seen program teams that balloon up to, you know, 12 to 15 folks. That might be too much to be, to be dedicated uh, mm -hmm. and really focused on the program over the long term. But uh, in, in any team, there are two roles you need to have. Um, we, we call that the program lead and the executive sponsor. In a perfect world, the executive sponsor is your CEO or the head of your organization. Yeah. Um, as a, you know, a visionary, someone who can communicate the expectations for OKRs and the reason you're doing it. Um, you know, they're, they're the, the type of voice that's really going to shock people into understanding that this is the new way of doing business. Yeah. Um, but you don't always have to have your CEO. You just need someone who is high enough up in an organization to both communicate the change and also be a model of how uh, OKRs are supposed to become a part of the organization. And the program lead, uh, this is a role which um, doesn't fit completely cleanly into any sort of functional role in an organization. You know, we've seen successful program leads on the HR team. We've seen others on the strategy team. Um, we've seen others who are chiefs of staff. Uh, but, but really, I think the, the common characteristic of a strong program lead is someone who is both focused on executing the um, scheduling and uh, tasks of just managing the program quarter over quarter, but at the same time having sway and confidence in speaking with the executive team, right? Yeah. Because there's that element of needing to manage down in the organization and coordinate that things are happening on time, but also being tough on the executives and being able to share whether or not they're uh, fulfilling their duties as being sponsors and 
uh, effective advocates of the program. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I think you've highlighted the sort of roles there that are really good for that, whether it's a chief of staff or a COO or, or an HR director. Um, yeah. They're, they're the roles we tend to see fitted a, a lot there. Okay, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, you, you can have other uh, extremely valuable folks who are part of your implementation, whether it's on the comms team or the internal education team. Mm. Um, but if you don't have the, the sponsor and the program lead, it's really going to be tough to get this off the ground. So what does the sort of governance structure look like around that program team then? Yeah, so um, during implementation, things can be, you know, 100 miles an hour, a little bit hectic, where uh, you're getting folks together and you're trying to make decisions quickly so that you can, uh, you know, fulfill the, the leader's vision of, of beginning uh, an OKR program throughout the organization. Mm. So, so there, is this, there is this element of, hey, we're, we're in the midst of a project right now and the team is heads down working on execution. But it is valuable to, to, to bring in a group of people, sometimes we'll call it a steering committee, which doesn't need to be part of the chaos of that, that, that implementation uh, you know, in the day-to-day, week-to-week execution level, mm-hmm. but is, is a group that can give uh, strategic guidance and also uh, is brought up to speed on the decisions being made at that level, right? So with a steering committee, this uh, is probably a valuable place to have your executive sponsor uh, as well as some other key um, folks in the business. Um, you know, they, they might be other leaders, they might be folks on the strategy team who can come together and just understand the changes we're proposing to make and the, the sorts of ways we're going to measure success down the line um, and check in with them, you know, maybe every couple weeks or every month during implementation. But really that, that group is there to understand at a bird's eye view level uh, what's going to make the program successful over time. Um, they don't need to help make a decision on uh, which slides belong in the, the training deck, for example. Mm but they can, they can help um, expose more people to that training deck, I suppose. Sure, yeah, and they'll understand pretty early on, you know, if we, if we check in um, prior to launch and we, we give the plan for what our program vision is going to be, uh, yeah. they might say, hey, you know, just so you know, this word agile that you've, you've included in the program vision, that might have some conflict with my engineering team because we've been running scrum and that that has a different meaning right uh so it might actually be valuable for us to frame this slightly differently with the engineering org right and 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 those sorts of that sort of input uh from a high level is is useful um for for longer term success right so it's about i guess building a, a community there then that's kind of dedicated to the cause but sits outside the chaos exactly and you know there there's always there's always um, a secondary value to having these, um, these executives involved, which is just having them feel like they're a part of the process. And this is not a foreign uh, methodology that's being forced upon mm. the organization, right? Uh, even, if, you know, even if they don't have a lot of uh, proactive uh, 
feedback about changing how we're going to roll out the program, just being a part of that meeting and being asked an opinion uh, can help bring them along for the journey and, and yeah. bring them into your corner as advocates quicker. Pays dividends in the long run. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So uh, interested uh, just to pick up on, on, on a comment that you made there about um, measuring success. Um, and how do you kind of go about then deciding with, with a client when you're doing an implementation, how they can look for success with OKRs? Because like you said, it is a bit of a crowdsource methodology and there's everyone yeah. uses them slightly differently. Yeah, the way we'll do it, there, there's, there's, two different, um, there's two different measures of success uh, I'll categorize that we'll talk about during an implementation. The first is, after we've walked through, discussed with executives and really understood the program vision for the organization, right? What, what are the actual values or um, outcomes you're looking to drive? Um, you've probably heard that phrase that, you know, all OKR programs need to be adapted to your organization before you commit to them. So ideally what we're doing is we're adapting OKRs so that they are focused on solving for alignment or commitment or stretching, whichever of the the OKR facts resonate most with the organization. Once we have an understanding of, you know, alignment or focus or commitment being the most important outcomes, we can start looking at what areas of engagement with the BetterWorks platform might be a pretty good indication of whether or not that's happening. Right. So uh, alignment, obviously we can track whether or not objectives are connected with each other in any meaningful way. And we can start reporting quarter over quarter on Here's your trend with alignment, uh, which teams are connected to higher level uh, organizational objectives, which groups aren't as much, right? Or um, commitment, what, what cadence of updates to OKRs are happening and in which groups and which aren't, right? So there is that idea of we can track, we can track um, platform engagement, which we think matches somewhat well with the elements of the facts that you're trying to drive. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, that's just uh, tracking connection with our software, right? So how do you then look at whether or not real changes to the business are taking place? And so the other measures of success um, program that we, we talk about is actually new, but it's uh, a survey which uh, we'll launch with our customers um, when they're first coming on board that helps baseline these areas of subjective, um, you know, subjective, uh, I guess, feelings in the business, right? right. So trust and leadership, how, how aligned are we as an organization? Um, how accountable are we? And a number of questions for each of those areas, we can get a baseline upfront before rolling out OKRs and BetterWorks, and then we can check in with pulse surveys to see how that's trending over time. And Obviously, how you check in on those then? How do you check in on the... How often, sorry. Yeah, so again, this is new. Um, one thing we always want to be careful of is if an organization has a surveying strategy um, for engagement on the people team that we're not, um, we're not doubling up on surveys. Yeah. Uh, but if you, can, if you can do follow-up pulses, I think quarterly around certain areas that you know, you're focused on within that, that's valuable. If that's too much, I think every six months is useful to yeah. see whether or not the changes are taking place. Mm. But again, this is new. So um, I think we're, we're still feeling out what's the right cadence 
with the with the surveying uh, function. But one thing we did do was we looked at uh, you know sort of all of these different um, elements of uh, engagement survey, uh, you know, statistical elements of what's actually impactful, what what's what's actually important to measure, um, what are the right questions to ask for those areas of influence, mm -hmm. and we've whittled it down to a fairly concise version that's focused on OKR outputs, right? And it's not as broad as a full engagement survey. Yeah, right. Because if we're measuring for success of an OKR program here, you know, you are in danger of kind of asking people about almost irrelevant things, I suppose, that there's going to skew sure. the data somewhat. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've done plenty of... Um, implementations then then read what what are your top five mistakes to avoid when launching an okr program yeah um <laughs> well you know number one is skipping skipping that program design yeah. and you know i i understand when folks a lot of times organizations we work with they've been reading about okrs for a long time and getting excited and doing a lot of self-education and some, you know, some groups within the organization are already writing their own OKRs. Yeah. And I think there's a sense that they're ready. All they need is they need the software to turn on so they can just start mm -hmm. using OKRs. And the reason why we always push back and say, let's get a clear program design in place first is because it's almost like playing a game. If, if there's no clear set of rules for how you're supposed to play the game, you're probably just going to introduce a lot of confusion and frustration when you flip the switch and turn on this platform. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I've been in trainings before where we've, we've rushed an implementation and we don't have clear answers in form of a program vision, which is why are we doing this and why now, mm -hmm. or clear guidelines, what's supposed to happen when and at what level. And when you get in that room, people question everything, right? Why is, why is my OKR quarterly and, and not annual? What if I have a goal that really is two years? And you get into these debates about the rules, <laughs> the rules of using OKRs, yeah. and uh, you're not really debating the, the value that the team is trying to get out of them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you can never go back to that, that foundation, which you should have, which is your program vision, right? And a good program vision, Lawrence, should explicitly be rooted in, hey, as an organization, we struggle with these pains. I think it would be hard to argue that we've had a, you know, we've had a poor track record of uh, commitment or focus with our priorities, right? Everyone is scattered and has a million projects in progress, right? So if you clearly explain where you're coming from and those pains, and you say OKRs are a means to achieve focus and better commitment, you can always return to that when people start spinning their wheels about <laughs> why is it three to five objectives? You know, why are we checking in quarterly? Right. It's, there's a reason why we're doing it. It's not just, um, you know, a, a made up methodology that, that yeah. we're, uh, that we're trying to prescribe for no reason. Yeah. And, and what I always say to my clients as well is that, um, the second worst thing you can say when somebody asks you a question, like, like those ones have given examples of there is, uh, I don't know. Yeah. The, the worst thing you can do is give an answer that's different to one that a fellow manager is giving to his team. 
because then you do have carnage in the organization. Um, and it's so much easier if you've done that program design first. So yeah. there's consistency throughout. Yeah, that's a great point, Lawrence. And then the, the, the fact of giving an answer that's inconsistent with what another manager has said, this is a great reason why yeah. uh, you don't want people to, you know, you don't want overconfident groups to just sort of forge their way ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, because you only have that one chance to communicate a really clear, consistent message when you're rolling out. Um, you, you have to sort of untangle all of these different threads if people are, um, you know, they're going out on their own <laughs> and rolling out their version. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, mistake, mistake number two then. Yeah, mis- mistake number two. Um, Mistake number two is probably giving up when the going gets tough. Uh, so it's, it's funny, right? We're, we're working very hard up front to build a program that fits with the culture and desired outcomes of an organization. And we're trying to give clear guidelines so that people will be successful, um, right? We're, we're not going to let them out into the wild with no, with no protective gear, right? But we still have to share this concept that all OKR programs evolve as well. (laughs) So, so you're starting with the baseline clear expectations, but you might learn after one quarter, after two quarters that uh, especially within a particular group, you might have to change the cadence of your check-ins. It doesn't work for you to go monthly. You actually need weekly or bi-weekly, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, maybe we thought we wanted uh, you know, we wanted these department level OKRs that were owned by the team, but actually we want them to be owned by particular leaders for better visibility. Those sorts of things are hard to understand and decide up front uh, to 100% accuracy. You really have to just start running with the program to learn what feels good and what doesn't, right? So giving up when the going gets tough really means that, hey, we we went through a quarter, we went through two quarters and some things didn't work or didn't feel right. Uh, yeah. You can't scrap it. You have to say, that's the whole point. Yeah. Uh, let's, ch- let's change it. So it does feel right. And let's not, let's not uh, get rid of this program where we actually are becoming more focused and committed uh, because you know, it didn't quite fit the first go around. Mm. And to be honest, evolution should be and retrospective should be part of that program design at the beginning. Uh, you know, that needs to be built into the timeline of, of OKR events as well. Yeah, good call. Yeah, with, with your um, experience with that, Lawrence, is, is the idea to look back at program, uh, you know, the program outline every quarter or every six months? How do you tend to um, like to look back and do that retrospective? To be honest, for, for me, it's not overcomplicating it. It's speaking yeah. to the team and... Um, asking them to fill in a really simple survey of what did you uh, like and think we should do more of? What do you um, think is, think we need to keep, but we should change the way we're doing it? Or um, what do you think is just a complete waste of all our time and therefore we need to get rid of? And just send that simple survey out to people and, and you're not going to get a hundred percent respondent rate, but that's okay. Yeah. Otherwise you would have thousands of responses to deal with. Um, but also people can't complain about the system if they've not sent their ideas in to be, to be monitored, right? Yeah. 
Um, And then it comes down to that program lead that you mentioned at the beginning to kind of sift through the the responses um, and they'll get fewer and fewer as time goes on. Um, Sift through the responses, decide what's good ideas, what aren't good ideas, and then speak to the different, the managers and exec teams about how they might want to embed those changes. And and, yeah. try that. and this, for me, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I like that. And again, surveys are your, are your friend for gathering yeah. that information at scale. But, you know, it's that <laughs> if people don't vote, then they, they don't get a second sort of thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you Absolutely. give them their option to have a voice, which is really important because it is a collaborative exercise. Um, yeah. And if they don't use that voice, then, then they can't really complain. Yeah, and you know... But thinking about how you can evolve a program, it's, also, it's always useful to understand what you're asking from the entire organization, right, mm-hmm. as sort of a baseline expectation versus, you know, what might be useful for one particular group, right? So in the example I gave, maybe it was uh, an engineering department <laughs> that wanted to change the cadence with which they met as a team. Mm-hmm. Somet- sometimes that piece of information is not necessarily something you have to now apply across the whole organization and say, hey, our, our guidelines have been updated and everyone has to check in mm-hmm. uh, weekly or biweekly now. But, but what you can do is you can understand why engineering made that change and yeah. then share with the rest of the organization, exactly. hey, this, this sort of model uh, could work for you as well, but it's not prescribed, right? If, if the current cadence of monthly check-ins works, absolutely keep it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I com- completely agree. Um, any more mistakes? Yeah, let me, a, a couple more that I think are worth talking through are, um, uh, you know, letting perfect become the enemy of good. And to me, the, what this really means is uh, becoming overly precious with the OKRs as you're writing them. And the problems with this, especially at a leadership level, are you start valuing this idea of we have to have the right objectives before we start working on them mm-hmm. uh, to the detriment of your team actually having time to execute, right? Mm-hmm. So um, every, every day, every week that you delay getting your objectives written is one fewer day or week to start working on them and start talking about mm-hmm. you know, how you're going to execute as a team or as, a, as an organization. And, and I think if, there, if there's any element that you can't um, negotiate as part of an OKR program, it's the amount of time you have in a quarter or in a year. So you got to find a way to get your OKRs written in a form that uh, is strong and that your team is ready to commit to, even if it's not perfect. And, yeah. and that's, that's scary for folks, but uh, you know, if you can't do it consistently quarter over quarter, then you're going to fall, you're just going to inevitably fall into a pattern where you only have time to do this once a year. And suddenly you're writing traditional MBOs that don't really become a part of your, your way of business. Yeah, absolutely. And um, this is usually my strongest argument for people rolling no cars down to team level rather than individual level as well. It's just the sheer time. Um, oh yeah that, that that has to be dedicated to this um yeah and this, this yeah is, people can but just make a beast for their own back i suppose and, and you lose the value um exactly. because you spend yeah. so much time trying to set it up 
Exactly. And you're, you're not trying to replicate the complexity of your business. You're trying to simplify. And so this is an area where your program lead is really crucial mm-hmm. to understand what these timelines are, these windows for getting different levels of OKRs in and really yeah. making sure those, those deadlines are hit. And again, it's really important that they have that executive team sway because it's got <laughs> right. to start with their OKRs. Otherwise, there's nothing to align into. Right, right. Yeah, great point. Yeah, so they have to be able to uh, crack the whip a little bit there and, and, and get those OKRs in on time for everyone else to get theirs done. Yeah, and, this is, and that's why your, your program lead needs that sort of influence with executives. Absolutely, Absolutely. Lawrence. And, cool, and right. Maybe, hey, there was another one then. Yeah, one more that I wanted to call out, and I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, we call it over-cascading or this idea that at an executive level, you are writing OKRs that you are uh, essentially planning. Uh, you're, you're planning the whole quarter for the whole organization. And you're trying to make sure that each level below is connected, directly contributing all the way up to your top level OKRs. And I, I see this typically as a core misunderstanding of what we're trying to achieve with OKRs, which you know, we want a process that helps people become connected to the strategy quarter over quarter. Um, And to do that, you need something that's agile. You need a sort of team of team model where these, uh, you know, self-organized teams can make decisions within a framework without having to depend on leadership for Mm -hmm. approval, right? Mm -hmm. And, And so when we see over cascading where, you know, we're measuring alignment within uh, BetterWorks and we see that alignment, you know, where OKRs actually contribute progress up is 80, 90, 100%. Yeah. That might be a bad sign that this is being used as a tool to just assign work down. Sounds really again more like MVO to me. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this is what's tricky is something that's so attractive about OKRs is the promise of better alignment. Hmm. Right. So as a leader, you, you want to know that people are working on things that you care about. But, uh, you know, if you go back to Andy Grove's philosophy around management is he doesn't he as a leader never wanted to be making decisions on the, you know, on the front lines when it came to engineering, even though he used to be an engineer. Yeah. He wanted to trust the folks that he just hired out of the best and brightest schools in the country to make those sorts of decisions, right? So enough money to do so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so we call it over cascading, but it's really understanding that your job is not to predict and direct everything from the top. It's to communicate a really powerful and inspirational vision, which mm-hmm. then becomes this idea of commander's intent. You know, any team can look at that and understand what they can do within the framework to add value. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point. And, um, if, if people are listening to this podcast without listening to one that, that I recorded a couple of weeks ago, um, I would encourage them to go back to listen to that one. I think we called it um, OKRs as a network, not a hierarchy. Um, and, and it's actually talking really about the same point. And, and it's interesting that you use the term over cascading because um, we've actually banished the word cascading from our vocabulary um, because of exactly what you say. It, it, it leans towards this um, sort of waterfall of approach of, well, you know, if I've got to 
sign five clients, each of my sales managers have to sign one client and that's now their objective sort of thing. Um, yeah. and, and you've got to be really careful with it because you, you lose all strategic value. Um, so we, we've stopped using the term cascading. And, and like I said, we don't even like this hierarchy approach. We tend to yeah. think of OKRs now as, as a web or a network and you're providing, you know, the job of the exec team, senior leadership team, whatever you want to call them, is to provide that uh, nucleus right at the core, you know, of the vision yeah. and, and the top level directives. Um, and then that web needs to expand to where it's strategically relevant. And that might be multiple teams working um, on, on one objective. You know, that's great if we can get some cross-functional working going through it. Um, it might be a team lower down the organization directly aligning into that top level objective and skipping a couple of layers out because they're the most strategically relevant team to work on it. Um, and yeah. when people start thinking of it like that, they realize they don't need to sort of dilute this focus. Yeah. Uh, and, and people can be a lot more agile and come in and out um, and allow this web to grow as I keep on saying, where it is strategically relevant and strategically powerful for the organization rather than just um, layer of OKR after layer of OKR after yeah. layer of OKR in the hope it will get to the people that need to do the work before you've had some sort of Chinese whispers effect where actually yeah. you know what they're working on and what they think they're supposed to be doing is completely different to what you had in your head at the top of the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, I- so yes, I agree, Reed. <laughs> I, I like I like that idea of the web and get away from the hierarchy and, and even banishing the word cascade because yeah. yeah, I mean, so much of this is language when we're talking about change management and mm-hmm. cascading has a lot of negative connotations for folks and is connected with, you know, MBOs and other goal methodologies. And Definitely. And, and, and I, you know, I'll have to look into whether we should banish it as well. You know, what we've done is we've only used cascading uh, in the same breath as we explain the concept of laddering, right? So <laughs> we would never say, hey, it's your job to cascade a, and leave it at that. We would say um, cascading alongside laddering can help you create the top down and bottoms up alignment. Yeah. But, you, you know, I think you have a great point of maybe just avoiding the that word all together <laughs> yeah it helps and and to be honest the the people on the ground kind of like it when you say that because it's a bit more empowering for them um you know it yeah. makes them realize that their contribution is going to be very important you know that bottom-up approach that you mentioned there um, yeah. rather than just having their goals cascaded down to them yeah it, you know it's a bit of a statement i suppose you no know, we're banishing the word cascading from the organization um, yeah it's like all right cool we actually mean we're going to do something decent here yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, maybe I'll just come back to this quote that I, I really like for Measure What Matters. And I, I try to share with leaders when we're kicking off a workshop, but um, I know it, it, it starts with leadership must get across the why as well as the what. And I think this, again, ties into without trying to predict and direct every initiative in your organization from the top down with your OKRs, you're just you're just explaining the why you're you're trying to you're you're trying to create that nucleus as you said that's a a vision and a direction but but a vision and direction that is inspiring and exciting um and that's that's a good way to help 
I, I think to help leaders understand their role when, when we say we're going to take away the ability to cascade. Yeah. Don't worry. You're, you're actually adopting this new sort of more powerful uh, uh, function, which is to yeah. inspire uh, and set the vision. And let your employees surprise you, give them the autonomy to do it. Right. Mm. Well, Reid, it's, it's been a fascinating discussion. Um, so much for our listeners to take out of it. I wouldn't be surprised to uh, get the feedback that they're listen, listening to it two or three times, to be honest, to make sure they've absorbed it all. Um, but same question for you to end on that I ask all our guests, which is really if you had one top tip to give to, to a business leader, either about to launch OKRs or has just launched OKRs within their business, um, you know, what would it be? The one top tip? Yeah. Uh, I would say um, embrace the, the struggle. <laughs> right. You know, uh, I, I think if, you, if you're diving into this in your first go around, for example, of writing OKRs, and you say, hey, we, we, we pulled together the executive team for two hours to write our OKRs, and it ended up taking us six hours to actually finish because there was so much heated debate, you know, instead of looking at that as a negative, mm -hmm. our two hour meeting balloon into six hours, I think you can look at it as a huge positive, which is, hey, there was so much that was just assumed, but not spoken about when we, when we thought about and discussed priorities, um, that we, we finally have a model and a method to uncover what's really important or to surface these ideas and have the right kind of discussion yeah. so that we can commit to what's important for a quarter or for a year. Right. So as you're, as you're starting out, always look at areas where it feels like a struggle and realize that that's a really valuable sign of, of growth or improvement. Mm -hmm. You know, if there, if it was as smooth and seamless as the, the old version of goal setting you're coming from, then it's probably adding as much value as the old. <laughs> yeah. You want to change for a reason, right? For sure. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, I'll old, go with that. Yeah, it's that old age adage of nothing worth doing is easy. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and we don't want it to be painful. No. But <laughs> the 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 grappling with these these new ideas and having meaningful discussions and thinking mm -hmm. deeply that's to me that's the point. So em embrace the struggle of it. Absolutely, I love it. Um, Reed, thank you so much. It's been been great. Yeah, thank you, Lawrence. I hope to speak again soon. Absolutely. And um, to everyone listening, uh, thank you again for joining us on, on this episode of Giant Talk. Um, a really great one. I'm sure you'll agree. Um, as ever, if you've got any feedback for me, just uh, drop me an email, Lawrence uh, with a W, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E at therebygiants.com. Or if there's anything else you want to chat through, just, just drop me an email uh, or book a meeting with me at therebygiants.com. I'd be happy to chat to you all. Um, but if not, stay safe, uh, and I look forward to speaking to you all again soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye.